If you want, go ahead and turn to Matthew chapter 5. If you have been with us, then you know that we're in a teaching series called Climb. We're going through the Sermon on the Mount. Um, Not quite verse by verse, but almost. More like section by section. Sometimes it has been verse by verse, but mainly uh, section by section. While you're there, or once you get there, go ahead and turn to Psalm 24 really quick, too. Uh, This is a verse that is kind of the anchor verse for the series, even though we're in Matthew 5. Psalm 24 is somewhat of an anchor verse, so go ahead and turn there too because I'm going to have you underline something and make a little um, reference in your Bible. Um, Let me just say, while you're turning to those scriptures, let me just say that um, something I mentioned one of the first weeks that we started this series is that um, it says that Jesus uh, climbed the hill or he went up the hill and then it says that his disciples followed him. And I've said it then and I'll say it again just as a reminder to all of us that I think that 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 wasn't just a coincidence. I think that Jesus was literally modeling something in the physical that he was hoping to see in his disciples in the spiritual, and that is ascending the hill of the Lord. That's what it says in Psalm 24, if you want to look there. Who may ascend the hill of the Lord? Who may climb the hill of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? And that's what he is wanting for all of us. If you are here tonight and you are a... um, follower of Jesus, you've been born again of the Spirit of God, you are a Christian, you are a new creation, then, then uh, the goal for your life by the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, they're working together to bring you into the Lord's presence because in the presence of the Lord is where we find times of refreshing. It's where we grow. Another way of saying that is it's where we feel, uh, experience the, the full package, the full benefits of who God is and what He has to offer us. And, and why would we want nothing less but believe it or not, there are Christians, there are believers, uh, people who proclaim Christ that, that aren't really going for that. I think that's one of the reasons that Jesus went up that hill and started preaching. He's like, you know what, we're going to set these things uh, straight and right from the beginning. It was his, his first big sermon, and he's hitting on some very basic topics for the believer. Um, now, I was going to say, who may ascend the hill of the Lord, who may stand in his holy place. It goes on to say, he who has clean hands, a pure heart, who doesn't lift his soul up to, uh, to an idol or swear by what is false. I have to be honest with you. For, for years, I would quote this scripture, but I would leave off uh, the how. Because you can kind of see there's the expectation. Here's what I want for you. And then there's easily identifiable the how. If you have clean hands, a pure heart, you don't lift your soul up to an idol, and then you don't swear by what is false. That's kind of the instructions on how to get there. Wouldn't you guys say? Wouldn't you guys say that? But for years, I would, uh, whenever I would quote it or I would preach on it, I would leave off the part. Um, a lot of times I would just quote all the way through, um, clean hands and a pure heart. And the reason is, is because I totally get the clean hands, you know, our outward actions. I get the pure heart, our inward actions. It's totally easy to trace. Don't lift your soul up to idols back to the Ten Commandments. But there's this thing on um, swearing by what is false that I could never, I, I wasn't able to, I didn't understand what it meant. It's like you should I not cuss? You know what I mean? Am I not supposed to tell lies? It could be all those kinds of things. And so tonight, as we look at the text in Matthew 5, or we're going to be Matthew 5, 33 through 37, if you want to go ahead and kind of mark that, we're really fortunate because, at least for me, someone who kind of avoided that since I didn't know what it meant, we're really fortunate to have a Lord, a teacher, a Savior, um, who clarified those kinds of things. So let's read that. And by the way, my, my Bible got locked in an office earlier, and so I have this. And you know how it is when it's not your Bible? You're like... So, here's the good news. My notes have a lot of scriptures because because we're going to use a lot of scriptures. And so they're all written here. 
So I'm holding this because I'm of my ADD. I, you know, you guys know what I'm talking about, right? I got to have something to hold, you know. It was either this or, you know, a hockey puck, and I didn't want to. So anyway. So Matthew 5, 33. Now I'm actually, I normally teach out of the NAS, but tonight I'm going to read this out of the, the New King James Version. And so verse 33, it says, Again, you have heard that it was said to those of old. Let me pause real quick, especially if you're visiting with us. Um, one of the things that we've been saying is that um, really all of the Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes, and then where we're at now, he's really addressing some of the, um, the Pharisees, some of the Pharisaical behavior, mentality. Specifically, there's five um, laws that he refers to to kind of correct some Pharisaical teaching, some misinterpretations of, of the law. Because remember what he said? I didn't come to do away with the law. I came to fulfill the law. And so he takes this, this short little segment of Scripture and he, he says, you know, I need to correct some things. Here's an example of how I came to fulfill the law, um, not to do away with it, but to fulfill it. And he corrects some terrible pharisaical interpretations of the Bible. So he says, again, you have heard. Earlier he said, you have heard it said, don't commit adultery. You have heard it said, don't commit adultery, um, murder. We taught on those. In this one he says, again, you have heard it said of those of old, you shall not. Swear falsely. It's another way of saying swear by what is false, like we, said, we saw in Matthew 24, um, Psalm 24. But shall perform your oaths to the Lord. You shall not swear falsely, but you shall perform your oaths to the Lord. But I, that's what you've heard. But I say to you, do not swear at all, neither by heaven, for it is by God's throne, or is God's throne, nor by earth, for it is his footstool, nor by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king, nor shall you swear by your head, because you cannot make one hair white or black, but let your yes be yes and your no be no. For whatever is more than these is from the evil one. And I'll, here's the deal with this scripture. There is a lot of Hebrew Jewish culture that is tied up in, in all that phrasing right there. So what I'm going to do is kind of bottom line it, okay? And say that what Jesus is getting at, what he's trying to um, sow into his disciples are three things. Um, these aren't necessarily my points, but they are hopefully what you'll find the heart in all this tonight. Three things that he's wanting to communicate through this uh, example of oaths and vows and, and, and stuff. That is truthfulness, faithfulness, and accountability. So if you want to write those somewhere off to the side, you can write truthfulness, faithfulness, and accountability. And we'll kind of come back to those uh, in a second. What I want to do to help explain all this, because like I said, it really is involved um, a lot of culture, a lot of uh, traditions in, as it relates to oaths and vows. What I want to do is kind of break it down into three sections because it's easily done that way. You, you, people get on to preachers for doing three-point sermons, but the Bible's written in that way. Have you ever noticed that? Paul, you know, those guys, they're just writing threes. So this is written in threes too. So the first thing I want to look at is Matthew thirty-five, thirty-three. It says, again, you have heard it said of those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform your oaths to the Lord. Some of your versions um, say vows, oaths. Uh, they're not exactly the same word, but they're very, very, very interchangeable. That's why you might see it written differently in different Bibles. What I want to look at first is this idea of vows, okay? And so you can write that as your first point. I want to look at or explain the, the vows thing. And so out to the side is where you can write accountability, okay? You can write accountability, vows slash accountability, um, you, again, you've heard it said that of those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform your oaths. The thing is, is that in ancient times, oaths and vows were used to, to settle disputes. 
um, to seal covenants or agreements. They were used um, to, to make things um, more binding, more, um, I don't know, uh, like even, even declarations. If I'm going to say something, I say it with an oath. oath. Um, you know, this Bible is not mine or my name's not Tony. You know what I mean? That's a weird way to say it, but that's kind of what the idea is, the way they would use that. And, um, but when you made a vow or an oath, swore an oath, you would do it by someone else, okay? You would do it by someone. That's why in Hebrews 6 it says, men swear by one greater than themselves. Have you ever read that scripture? It talks about how men swear by ones greater than, than themselves. And the reason is, is because whoever you were swearing by, if I'm going to have a, an agreement or if I'm going to bind something together with my son, Aiden, um, and I'm going to make a promise or I'm going to make an oath or a vow or whatever, I would have someone that I swear this oath by. And the reason is, is that moment, that person is, is basically playing the witness and they're playing the judge. They're witnessing to the fact that I did say that and they're playing the judge in that scenario that if whatever was promised, whatever the oath or vow was, whatever the agreement was, if it didn't come to pass, if I broke my end or Mar- uh, Marvin, uh, Aiden, that was weird. Sorry, I've known Marvin since he was that age. Um, anyway. Is like looking at him. Um, <laughs> Marvin is not 13 anymore. He's old. So, but they were playing the witness and then they were playing the judge. If for some reason Aiden or myself didn't follow through with our end of the bargain, then that person had the right or the authority or the accountability, everybody say accountability, to come in and execute judgment on that. And, and we don't have to get into the judgment part of, but it was a kind of ultimate accountability. Um, you don't have to turn there, but in Deuteronomy 6, and then actually in another place in Deuteronomy 10, it says almost the same thing. I'll read Deuteronomy 6 first, verses 13 and 14. It says, You shall fear only the Lord your God. You shall worship Him and swear by His name. You shall not follow other gods and any other god of the peoples who surround you. And then in Deuteronomy 10, verse 20, it says almost the same thing, a little bit differently. You shall fear the Lord your God, you shall serve him and cling to him, and you shall swear by his name. One of the things I want you to notice here is that, well, first of all, it's like there's this permission to swear by the name of the Lord or to, um, to use him as that ultimate authority and accountability in a situation. A lot of people will read Matthew 5, 23 and, and you know, think that Jesus is... is getting rid of that option that people have to swear by the Lord and seal that agreement or that covenant. But that's really not what's going on. He said, I didn't come to do away with that, but to fulfill it. Remember, one of the things we've been talking about with the Pharisees is that they were all about the external, and they had very little going on in the internal. And that's what Jesus is trying to correct, the, the, um, the internal interpretations of, of the Scripture. They were all about the external. And so... You shall fear the Lord your God. You shall worship him and swear by his name. You shall not follow any other gods. You shall fear the Lord your God. You shall serve him and cling to him. And you shall swear by his name. I want you to notice all the verbs in this passage, in both of these passages. I don't know if they're up there or not. I think the reference is. But there's a lot of verbs. You shall fear the Lord. You shall worship the Lord. You shall cling to the Lord. You shall serve the Lord. These are all ways of expressing a hardcore deep devotion to the Lord. It's basically another way of saying God is your all, right? You're giving Him your everything. You're giving Him your best. You're worshiping Him. Um, In fact, you can write this down. A person who's devoted to God lives his life to bring glory to His name. 
a person that's devoted to God will live his life. The purpose of his life ultimately is to bring God's name glory. A great example of, of this right here, um, it, this, this idea of um, how important it is to live your life for the, for the Lord is in Abraham and Abimelech. I don't know if you know the story, but it's in Genesis 21, and there was a situation where they needed to make an agreement over the usage of some wells. And Abimelech said, God is with you in all that you do. I'm going to come back to that. God is with you in all that you do. Now, therefore, swear to me here by God, there's that word, that you will not deal falsely with me. You kind of see how we're in the terminology here? And it goes on to say that Abraham said, I swear it. So the first thing that Abimelech says to, to, um, to Abraham is this idea of what Deuteronomy is talking about. I can see that you are someone that fears the Lord, that worships him that serves him, that gives him his all, that you cling to the Lord. The way he said it is, God is with you in all that you do, or you are all about God in everything you do. I know that I can tell that. So, since we're about to do this deal, I want you to swear by God that you will not treat me falsely or do me falsely. And Abraham says, man, I can do that. I swear it. And so they made this little, this little deal right there, um, and it was based upon God. It's kind of like you guys ever heard, God is my witness. Anybody ever said that? Or, by God, we will. You guys ever heard that one? Well, that's kind of where that comes from, is this idea of, of using the Lord as your, um, um, as your ultimate accountability. I don't know if we use it quite that way when we, when we say that. By God, you know, it kind of makes us jumpy. But here's the deal. I want you to think about this idea of vow, and I don't want to stay here too long because I, I want it to, to be as easy as possible to understand. The idea is that, that because I serve the Lord, because I love him, God can not only vouch for who I am, vouch for my character, my love for him, um, my life, because I love him, because I worship him, because like Abimelech said, God is with you in all that you do. In other words, you're all about God. When I make a covenant, when I make a, um, uh, an oath, when I enter into an agreement, a simple way of saying that is when I make a promise, there should be this automatic backing in my life based upon my character, and we'll talk about this in a minute, based upon my character that this is going to come through. In the Old Covenant, it was, it was a literal act. It was a literal thing they could do. I swear by God, like he says in Deuteronomy, you swear by my name, I swear by the name of the Lord that I will do this. Okay, It was an ex, um, external expression of I will come through on this. And we'll talk about what Jesus says in a second. But another scripture to think about is in Leviticus 19. If we don't come through back then, if they didn't come through, if either one, they were making this oath, but they really didn't mean it, I'm going to say I'm going to do this, but I'm not really going to do it. I mean, I'll swear by God's name that I'll do it, but I'm not really going to do it. Either they don't mean it or they don't actually come through. Leviticus 19:12 talks about that. He says, you shall not swear falsely by my name. Don't do it. Don't swear by my name, but you don't really mean it. You guys understand what I'm saying? Don't swear by my name, but not really mean it. So as to profane the name of your God. In other words, when you do that, when you, and this is, this is Old Covenant, but when you do that, when you swear by my name, but you don't come through, or, which I guess this would be the same thing, when you know that you don't mean it, but you swear by my name, which ultimately the Lord would be the only one to know that, I suppose. When you do that, you profane my name. You make my name where the object should be to glorify my name. Those actions will profane my name. Not that God's name can be profaned. 
so much because he's the greatest, he's the highest. One day every knee will bow and confess that he's the Lord. But you guys hear what I'm saying? I can do something that would give Matt a bad taste of my God and his name based upon my, my oath that I made. You understand? Now here's what happened. I'll, I'll go ahead and let me, let me say this. I thought of another example. How many of you remember buying your first car? Some of you are like, I still haven't bought my first car. It's okay, you'll get there. I can remember when I was 16, I had a job, and I had been driving my parents' car, but then there was this little truck that I wanted. And so I went through the process of seeing what all I needed to do. I needed to get a loan because it was more than I could afford with cash. And there's this process called getting a loan. And in that process, if you can't pay for it, you have to get a, a co-signer. Okay? So I remember going to my dad and saying, uh, Dad, I'm going to buy me a new truck. What do you need a new truck for? Because I want it, you know, and I, I just want it, whatever. I need you to co-sign for me. And my dad wasn't overly happy about co-signing that. And I think the reason is, not that I wasn't trustworthy, but in his mind, um, what if I didn't come through? What if I signed this piece of paper, but I didn't make my payments every month? Or what if I let it default or, or all those, you know, ways of describing that? Well, then not only, listen to me, not only would he be responsible for having to pay off that loan, you guys understand the process of cosign. Most people don't think about this part, but not only would he be responsible for paying the loan, his name would be Mud too. Because when he signed that, he's basically saying, my son is trustworthy. My son's a hard worker. My son will pay his debts. You don't have to worry about a thing. I am signing, vouching for him that he will do this. Now, if he doesn't, I'll cover it. But I am telling you, it's the same idea. It's... Uh, I'm swearing by his name. It's like, I guess, I swear by my dad's name <laughs> that I will pay for this truck, I promise, you know. So uh, maybe that's another example of how to look at that. Now, here's the problem, and this is why Jesus is saying what he says, because look what he goes on to say. He goes on to say, I say to you, do not swear at all. And then he gets into this weird, it's like, man, I don't even know what you're saying. I don't, uh, don't swear at all, neither by heaven, for it's God's throne. Okay. Don't swear by the earth, for it's his footstool. Okay, I won't do that, <laughs> you know. Um, don't swear by Jerusalem, for it's the city of the great king. I never thought about swearing by Jerusalem, but okay. You guys hear what I'm saying? Do you ever read that and go, what? And then, and then he says kind of the weirdest thing at all. Nor swear by your own head. Okay, now you've lost me, Lord. I don't even know what you're talking about. Okay, that's how we think of it. But again, there was this big cultural thing that was going on during that time. Um, go ahead and write false vows as, as the point number two. False vows and beside that, truthfulness. Because this is what, he, this is what it says. Um, do not swear falsely, but perform your oaths to the Lord. It's okay to perform an oath. It's okay to swear an oath in the Lord's name. You just aren't supposed to do it falsely. This was something that the, that the, um, that the uh, religious leaders, the, the scribes and the Pharisees and other religious leaders, they were doing. Um, he says, don't swear at all by the Jerusalem, by heaven, by earth, by your own head. And before I explain this, I want you to remember, some, several of you went through, probably a lot of you went through the James study that we did the last time we did um, uh, men and women's Bible study, or maybe the time before you went through James. I don't know if you remember this, but, but James said the same thing Jesus did almost verbatim. It's in chapter 5, verse 12. He says, and actually he says it like this, above all. In other words, he put a major significance on it. Above all, my brethren, my brothers, believers, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or with any other oath. Everybody say, with any other oath. 
This is going to get really important. James is saying almost the exact same thing line by line. He says, don't, don't swear by any other oath or with any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no, no, so that you may not fall under judgment. Almost the exact same thing that Jesus said. Now, here's, here's what's going on. When Jesus says this, and really when James is saying it too, there was this thing among the Jewish culture, especially the, the religious leaders, especially the Pharisees, they had this habit of evading accountability. Okay? And when I say evading accountability, they had it in their heart. Remember, Jesus is addressing heart issues. They had it in their heart to lie and to cheat people, to get by with things that were dishonest, to get by with things that were not of character and integrity. And they, know, they knew Deuteronomy chapter 6. They knew Deuteronomy chapter 10. And they knew that if you're going to swear, you better swear by the name of the Lord. And they're like, well, if we do that, we'll come under judgment. So let's, let's do something here. Let's, let's, um, let's, let's, have a, let's play Scrabble with this law. And so what they did in an effort to get by with lying and cheating, they would swear by just about everything except God. I will swear by uh, heaven. That sounds pretty legit, doesn't it? I swear by heaven. Oh, man, that sounds pretty godly. All right? I swear by the earth. I mean, because he created the earth. So I swear by the earth. I swear by Jerusalem. Man, you can't get more religious sounding than that. You hear what I'm saying? They were creating these ways. They were, die, they were like um, trying to get out of the accountability that came by swearing by the name of the Lord. Because that was allowed. And God was like, actually, I want you to do that. I can back you up. I want to vouch for your character. You guys hear what I'm saying? But, you know, if you, there's judgment that comes if you don't come through with your with your end of the bargain. I'm going to hold you accountable to that. The Pharisees knew that. They knew that. And so they were creating this, uh, I don't know, maybe you can call it a lesser oath or a verbiage dance. I don't know, you can call it whatever you want. They were trying to, to make it sound higher and mightier than it really was. In fact, a lot of theologians, when they talk about this section, they call it um, evasive swearing. There's actually a word for what the, they were doing culturally, that Jesus was calling out, not just in the Pharisees, but in the people too, because they had been led that way. It's called evasive swearing. Swearing by something that, that they weren't supposed to do. And apparently it got really out of hand. You may not remember this, but I'm going to go ahead and bring it up. In Matthew 23 is another place where Jesus talks about it. Let me read it. In Matthew 23, you don't have to turn there, but you can listen real quick so you can get the full effect. Matthew 23, starting in verse 16 He's, he's messing with the Pharisees, this whole section, you know, before and after. I mean, he's just really knocking the Pharisees in the teeth. I mean, calling them snakes, calling them everything. And he says, woe to you, blind guides, because this is where they, they were leading the people. Woe to you, blind guides, who say, whoever swears by the temple, it is nothing. But whoever swears by the gold of the temple, he is obligated to perform it. You guys hear what I'm saying? Whoever swears by the temple, that's no big deal. But whoever swears by the gold of the temple, now that's a good oath. Fools and blind. For which is greater, the gold of the temple that sacrifices, uh, the gold or the temple that sacrifices the gold? And whoever swears by the altar, it is nothing. But whoever swears by the gift that's on the altar, see, he's calling out their little um, evasive swearing here. He is obligated to perform it. Verse 19, fools and blind guides. For which is greater, the gift or the altar that sacrificed the gift? 
Therefore, he who swears by the altar swears by it and by all things on it. He who swears by the temple swears by it and swears by, uh, swears by him who dwells in it. And he who swears by heaven swears by the throne of God and by him who sits on the throne. In other words, when you swear by these lesser things because of what God already put in place in Deuteronomy 6, Deuteronomy you know, 10, um, that spot in Leviticus, really parts of the Ten Commandment. He says, when you do that, you, you think that you are swearing by something lesser and evading something, but because God actually created the earth, you're still swearing in His name, and you will be held accountable for it. When you swear by the heavens, that sounds spiritual, and you think that God's not going to hold you accountable because you didn't actually swear to Him or by Him, but you will because He's the one that created the heavens. You're trying to get out on a technicality. God's like, I don't do technicalities. You guys hear what I'm saying? You want to swear by Jerusalem, by the king. I'm the one who established the king who established the city. <laughs> you hear what I'm saying? Now, the whole, you know, the hair thing, I don't know. But basically, he's saying, because I think the point on that head thing is theologians have all, I did a lot of reading on this and probably more than I should have. But apparently it got so ridiculous, this evasive uh, what do we call it? This evasive swearing got so ridiculous that it became a game among the religious leaders. Let's see how stupid we can make these oaths. You hear what I'm saying? It became stupid. And that's why I think, I honestly think when Jesus said, you swear by your head, I think he's kind of mocking. Mocking, you know, I don't know if mocking would be the right word, but kind of calling out the stupidity of the, their thinking, their mentality, the pharisaical mentality. And so that's one of the things that was going. Jesus is like, it's like he's saying, it would be better to swear no oath at all than to think that you can somehow contrive a way to avoid the accountability that comes from God to be a truthful person. It says all that in there. (laughs) It does, basically. You guys understand what I'm saying there before I go on? I'm I'm leaving all kinds of stuff out because I don't know how relevant it is. But the point is, again, externally, the Pharisees were trying to shuck and jive the law, make the law fit into their systems, their mentality, their behavior, their lifestyle. And God, just like he did with adultery, just like he did with murder, just like he will do with two more that we'll cover over the next two weeks, he's saying, this external pursuit of me is not going to fly. I'm calling you to a higher standard. For many, many, many years, you yourselves have been creating external things to make you look better, make it look like you have a relationship. And you've been leading the people in the same way. But I'm telling you, that is not the spirit of the law. The spirit of the law isn't to just not kill someone. The spirit of the law is to get rid of the anger and malice in your heart. Amen? The Ten Commandments says, do not commit adultery. But Jesus is saying, you're missing it. Oh, great. Good for you. You didn't sleep with someone that's not your wife or husband. Good for you. I'm telling you, the spirit of that law, which you're missing completely because it's an internal thing, you're only interested in the external things. The spirit of the law is don't even look at another woman or man with those kinds of desires. We talked about that last week or two weeks ago. Don't even look at them with those things in your heart because you've broken the commandment. You've offended the Lord. Amen? And the same thing is going on here. You're trying to sideswipe my accountability. You cannot do it. Has anybody ever read Psalm 139? 
Where can I go? <laughs> Where could I flee from his presence? I can go down to the depths of Sheol, to the depths of hell. You would find me there. There's nowhere I could go where you wouldn't know my every thought, my every word. And yet that's kind of what the Pharisees were trying to do. Hear what I'm saying? And the last thing is he, um, Jesus says, um, what does he say? He says, here's what, I, here's what I suggest. It's like, therefore, or but, or here's what I suggest. Just let your yes be a yes, and your no be a no. Because anything more than that is from the evil one. And I, this is real easy, real quick. You can write no vows because that's basically what Jesus was saying. He wasn't saying you should not make vows and that you better not ever make a vow again. Basically what he's saying is that you should not need a vow. You should not need to make an oath or promise something just to convince somebody that you'll do what you're saying you will do. You guys hear what I'm saying? I suggest not even uh, making a vow. What he's really saying when he says that is that, um, well, I'll just, I'll just say it this way. He's basically, he's saying, you need to have the character, the weight of your character, confirm that you will come through with what you say that you'll do or not do. You can write it this way. Having, a, having to make a promise demonstrates that there is not enough weight in your own character to confirm your word. This is what Jesus is really getting at. This is what he wants us to know tonight. You know why? Because we live, and back then too, but we live in a day and age where truth, everything revolving around truth, these three things that I set out that would be the centerpiece for tonight, truthfulness, faithfulness, accountability, those three, uh, three things are being tossed out the door. In our culture, they're being tossed out the window. They've been tossed out the window in a lot of cultures, but man, we live in a country where that is just flat out getting tossed out the door. Especially truth. Truth is relative. Believe what is good for you, but what is good for me, I'll believe that. And so people, I mean, even Christians, I, I, I don't know the statistics right off the top of my head, but the statistics are staggering for those who call themselves born-again believers, uh, how many actually believe there's a such thing as, um, what's the word, uh, truth, um, absolute truth. I mean, it's like scary. It would basically be the equivalent of, in this room here, I don't know, 100 people, in this room right here, there might only be about, actually less than one-third of us that believes there is a such thing as an absolute truth that you can take to the bank, that there is something about anything that you can take to the bank. Two-thirds of us would believe that. One-third would believe, no, everything shifts with the, with the tide. I don't know about you, but there's a scripture that I can remember that says, the Lord is not like shifting shadows. There are things that are true that you can count on. In fact, I don't even know in such a tumultuous age and society and, and, and you know, our country is getting so fear-based on this, that, and the other. It's like you would think that we would want something that, that says there is a truth you can cling to, something that you can hold on to that's not going to slip through your fingers. Actually, you know what? I believe that there is. I believe there is a, a number of people that are wanting that. They just don't know what it is. And that's why it's important for us to know and to communicate. Amen? Having to make a promise, having to make an oath, demonstrates that there's not enough weight in your own character to confirm your word. I don't know if you guys are like me and my family, but we love Little House on the Prairie. We also love the Waltons, you know? Um, we, watch, we have the series, we watch them. You know that about me. 
You know that about me. You know that I've learned how to be a dad and a husband by Charles Ingalls and John Walton. Okay? You know that. <laughs> and so if you ever hear me say Ma and Pa or whatever, you know where that comes from. But, you know, the, the, the Waltons were basically during the Depression years, which is a long time ago, different age, different era. And Little House on the Prairie was definitely a different age, different era, mid mid 1800s I suppose mid to late 1800s and you watch these episodes and you're seeing the way people relate to each other and you see these guys make an agreement about a piece of land or an ox or a bag of chickens or or whatever and it's like all right this is how many you want yep you're gonna bring them yep I sure will well let's shake on it and they shake on it and if they're really serious they'll spit you know what I mean but I mean there's a part of me that goes are you serious like, I'd be like, you show me, you write something in blood, you cut yourself somewhere and let me know that you're going to do this. You know what I mean? But there was a day and age really where it's like, you can't do anything anymore without making sure you got a contract to say you'll do what you say you do. Now, this is fresh for me because you guys know that we're, our lawyer, Soma's lawyer, and the facilities that we're working on getting their lawyer are going like back and forth to make sure that this lease is perfect. And I'll just be honest with you, I'll tell you this. Already, there was a verbal agreement between me and um, the owner or representation for that lease. Already, there was something that we verbally said, all right, that sounds good, that he's backed out on. And so what am I doing? I am pushing even harder for that (laughs) contract to be exactly what it needs to be. So all this is kind of fresh on me. This is like, okay, you hear what I'm saying? Very, very, very important. There's a scripture in Proverbs 3, verses 3 and 4. It says, let love and faithfulness, some of your versions say, let kindness and truth never leave you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablets of your heart. Now, that's reminiscent of the way that Jesus established the Ten Commandments. He wrote them on tablets of stone with his very finger. This is another way of saying, write this, write my heart, my law. Last week we talked about how God's heart, uh, his law is his heart. Write his heart, write his law, write the things that he's about on the tablet of your heart. Let love and faithfulness, kindness and truth never leave you. Bind them around your neck, write them on the tablet of your heart. Then you will win favor with God and in the sight of man. In the name of... Then you will win favor and a good name in the sight of God and man. And I'll just end with the thought, the phrase that uh, Abimelech made to Abraham back in Genesis 21. God is with you in all that you do. That's the reputation that Abraham had. God is with you in all that you do. Don't confuse that as meaning God just blesses you. I mean, God just blesses you. He's with you in all that you do. No. Look at it from the other angle. You have made sure that God is with you in all that you do. Another way of saying it, like I said earlier, you are all about God. That's our goal, is to be all about God. And if we are all about God, then be a person that can be counted on. You guys hear what I'm saying? It's something I try to tell my son or sons. Aiden could probably be like, 
<laughs> be someone that you could be counted on. Be a husband that your wife can count on. Be a dad that your um, kids can count on. Be an employee that your boss can, be, can count on. Be an employer that your employees can count on. And I'll just I, I'll say this. I'll wrap up with this one story. A great example of this. Um, two weeks ago, I was supposed to meet with a gentleman. And I, I know this gentleman, um, and it's not somebody from our church. I know this gentleman, and this gentleman uh, has a bit of the reputation to not keep his word, to not come through. You guys see what I'm saying? And I was going to be meeting with him about something. Anyway, I'm st- sitting at Starbucks, and I'm supposed to meet him at like 10 o'clock. 10 o'clock's there. No big deal. I've been known to be two or three minutes late. You just be quiet. Um, 10, 15 rolls around. Okay, it's 10, 20, and I'm like, man, I've got a busy day. And I knew of this guy. He's probably just going to be late. Well, at about 10, 40, after my grace had ran up, my grace was, you know, was out, was depleted. Um, I texted him and said, man, um, I'm going to have to go. I don't, I don't have time to, to wait for you anymore. Uh, we'll have to reschedule. And he, his, he texted me back, oh, um, he said, oh, we didn't confirm that we were supposed to meet. And we did confirm because I had it right here in my calendar. <laughs> Those of you know me, <laughs> if it even makes it to my calendar, it's a, a miracle, first of all. And so if it was there, you know that I was on the stick. Again, that's rare. But, so we, I said, man, um, it's in the calendar. We missed it. And here, here's his text back to me. Man, I promise that, that um, we didn't confirm it. I even, if I had an iPhone, if I had an iPhone, I would show. Oh, no, no, what it was is whenever I, whenever I sent the confirmation text, yes, we, yes, we can meet. Um, that's what it was. I sent a confirmation. Hey, can we meet at this time? Yes, yes, yes. Okay, yes, I will see you there at Starbucks at 10 o'clock. Well, he said, oh, I never got that text. And I said, well, I sent that text. And I wasn't mad yet, you know. <laughs> but here's what, here's what he texted back. Man, I never got that, that text. I promise if I had an iPhone, I would text, I would, um, I would text, I would take a, whatever, a picture of that conversation and send it to you. Well, first of all, man, I'm, I'm not that mean. <laughs> you don't have to do that. But you know what that was? Here, here's the deal. This, the reason he was, you guys understand that in that moment he was swearing by an iPhone. You guys hear what I'm saying? I swear by, I swear by an iPhone that, that I didn't get that text. It's like, whoa, you don't have to swear by an iPhone. But here's, here's the thing. In that situation, I believe because he is not typically a man who keeps his word, he was so extra sensitive to the fact that he knows people know that he doesn't keep his word, that he had to swear by it. You know, I actually believe him. I actually believe that he didn't get the text. In my spirit, I, I believed that that was true. I had a lot of grace. Like, dude, that happens. But what grieved me was the reason he felt like he had to swear by his iPhone or whatever, an iPhone, <laughs> is because more often than not, he doesn't um, do what he needs to do. Does that make sense? There's a lot of young people in this congregation Younger people are usually worse than older people. And I'll just stop there. <laughs> Let's go ahead and stand. I really will. I'll stop there.
my encouragement to you in all that is, is really the same thing that Jesus was trying to encourage the people to think differently, to think, for, to think of um, um, the highest calling, pursuing the highest calling in Christ Jesus, and that is to be faithful. Someone that's truthful, someone that's faithful, and someone whose walk with the Lord is accountability enough to do what you'll say you'll do. Amen? All right. Let me pray for you, and then we can be dismissed.